real life superpowers. In business, I learned this at a very early age. You don't make money by making money. You make money by solving problems. If you can solve problems, your solution's good. It's quick, easy to use, ideally affordable. You can do well. You know, you don't have to innovate. You just have to solve problems. Hey everyone! With millions of followers across the world through his blog, podcast, marketing school, and social channels, it's very unlikely you're not familiar with the work of today's guest. Neil Patel is a New York Times best-selling author, named top influencer on the web by the Wall Street Journal, one of the top 10 marketers in the world according to Forbes, recognized as a top 100 entrepreneur under the age of 30 by President Obama, no less, and recognized a top 100 entrepreneur under the age of 35 by the United Nations. Entrepreneur Magazine says he created one of the top 100 brilliant companies out there. He's the co-founder of Crazy Egg, Hello Bar, and Kiss Metrics. He helps companies like Amazon, NBC, Microsoft, Airbnb, Google, General Motors, Salesforce, HP, and Viacom grow through marketing. Real Life Superpowers Neil, welcome to Real Life Superpowers. Uh, thank you guys for having me. It is such an honor. Um, I'll start with my usual question, which is, what are you up to these days? You know, just uh, building my ad agency, Neil Patel Digital, and uh, working on my software projects, Uber Suggest. Uh, which I personally use, and I know many other marketers do. Thank you. Let's take a step back, because, you know, these days you're like the hotshot, you're the success story, you've been endorsed by Obama, by probably every tier one publication in the world. Uh, you're on the top of your game. Uh, and how did it all start? Like, I know that you started your own business when you were 16, and you had a need uh, for marketing, uh, and then you realized you're not getting any answer to that need for like you you were basically trying to find a solution for yourself because other solutions just weren't cutting it uh and that's that's one angle of the story but i'm also curious like you were 16 other people were like playing basketball or whatever at school and you were starting your own business so tell us about that a bit yeah i grew up in middle class america and I just wanted a better life. And I couldn't qualify for any high-paying jobs. So I decided to be an entrepreneur because I didn't know any other way to make more than 5 $6 an hour other than being an entrepreneur because all the jobs I would apply for, that's what they would pay 16-year-olds. Um, and then over the years, you know, I learned entrepreneurs are really tough. It's not that easy to succeed. Uh, but just years and years of being persistent and keeping at it, eventually I figured it out and I've done okay. You said um, you were in middle class and you had to make the money. Like, why would you have to make the money? What was so bad? I, I didn't have to. I was lower middle class. I just wanted a better life. Why? I just wanted it. You know, I saw people around me. See, because the area I grew up, we grew up in the, in the middle class area of a rich county or city. And you would see people with fancy things like a BMW or Mercedes. And as a kid, I wanted some of those things. I eventually learned they're useless and you don't need them. But at the beginning, when I was young, I wanted those things. I don't know why. I just did. So what, what would you want now if they're useless? A bigger home, bigger backyard, uh, which is very expensive in Los Angeles. 
Uh, sadly, a little bit too expensive. A bigger backyard costs you around $10 million. So things add up. But during COVID, that would be nice. I don't have that. I'm just saying if because of COVID, I realized huh, having a backyard would be nice. Well, that makes sense. And, and, and back to the age of 16. So you're starting a business. Your, your goal is money. And you're realizing that you're not getting the solutions from uh, third-party services. And you're thinking, I can do this. Like, how do you get the confidence to even try? Well, I was broke and frustrated. I had no more money to pay the third-party services. It wasn't even about the confidence. It was more so I had no other choice. And then what? You sort of started exploring. And uh, like, how, how did you go about figuring out what to do? Yeah, so I was reading a lot of websites. I started implementing what I was learning. I was experimenting on my own sites. I was starting to get results. And uh, I started getting more traffic to my site. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Still wasn't making any money, but I at least cracked the traffic knot. And then I'm like, this entrepreneur stuff is really hard, but I'm pretty decent at this traffic stuff. Maybe I should do more of that instead. And then you did. And then I did. I would pick up the phone and literally call people who are ranking on Google, uh, not on page one, but page three, four, five, and cold call and pitch them. I would call the people who are doing the paid ads and then try to sell them on my services. Some of it, I would do performance-based. Some I would offer a guarantee. Some I would say, I'll do work for free for a month. And if you like it, then pay me after. I was trying to do whatever just to get customers. And this is in high school? Correct, yes. So I'm guessing like how many, what's the ratio of the of hearing no to yes at this stage? Uh, I don't know the ratio, but it was really bad. It is almost everyone said no or ignored you. So how did you know you were good at it? I didn't know I was good at it other than I got traffic to my own website. I'm like, I did this for my own website. I can do this for anyone. I was more naive than knowing if I was good at it or not. And it didn't sort of uh, throw you back to hear all those no's? Did you just keep going? No, because I I look at it this way. If I call a lot of people and I pitch them a service, if they all say no, what's the worst case that happened? Wasted some time, didn't really lose any money. I was still where I am today or at that time. If someone said yes, I would have a better life and I would make more money. The, the, the worst case scenario, the no, didn't really, I had nothing to lose. Because you already had the no. Yeah, like if, if I got a ton of no's, make no more money, be in the same place. Instead of playing basketball, I wasted a few hours each day. I'm sorry. I love your humility. But, but I'm, I'm looking for something here, which is, you know, what's not logical is not logical. So... There's something about what you said. You said, I brought traffic to my own service and I said, wow. So there's something about the self-reliance here that I feel that is more powerful than what you think. Like you said, I couldn't get more than $5. So I had to find something else. I, I, I wasn't good at traffic, but I did find the site. And there's a twice that the difference is you're not just saying you want money, but you're not, but you're looking a little more of like seizing in my opinion. I don't know. I'm hearing this. So I'm, tell me if I'm wrong. But you're looking to have more power on what you're doing. Like you were empowered by having traffic in the site. So, so was there something about that? Like, are you looking for self-reliance? Like in COVID, you're also saying, I want to guard it, right? So, so is yeah. this something powerful about that in your, in your character? Well, b- back then, I really genuinely wanted money for a car. To buy your own stuff. Yeah, buy your own house, all those things, right? But... I don't know if there was much self-reliance other than I genuinely thought I was good at it because to, to do SEO and marketing for one site was no difference than doing it for other site. It didn't matter what industry, the principles and the concepts were the same. 
and I was getting good at it and I was getting results fast and I was doing, I was getting results faster than the people I were paying that were well-known in the space at the time. So that's what led me to realize that, Hey, I can do this for other people and probably better and probably cheaper. Cause I know what the people were charging me and I'm like, I can do it at a fraction of the cost, get better results. And let me just do it for free for them for 30 days because if they're not happy, they didn't lose any money. And if I did good, then they'll pay me and I'll be happy as well. But that's another like best practice that at 16 is pretty impressive to, to sort of identify like the whole sort of freemium. Like, let's try, let's see what you get. Those are, those are things that uh, businesses evolve and, and the confidence. And, I, and okay, fine, you did it for your own website and it worked. It's still very impressive to be able to sort of go into the, in, into the landscape of, you know, the adults uh, who are running their own businesses and offer your services. It's almost cheeky. And yet it worked, right? It worked. I, I learned the freemium concept from my mom. So she was born in India. She had a teaching degree in India, which isn't valid really in the United States. So she went to night school, got, took some classes to try to get it valid here. But she struggled to get a job. So my mom taught at a school for six months for free. And then after, eventually they paid her. But I learned the concept from my mom. She was doing it years and years ago. She was doing it literally 30 plus years ago, around 32 years ago. And I'm guessing she had your back. Like, did both your parents support you uh, in everything that you were doing? Yeah, they didn't care. They were just like, yeah, do whatever makes you happy. My parents are easygoing. My mom was a teacher. My dad worked at a bank. You know, they, they were pretty easygoing. Your parents are easygoing. That has nothing to do with the profession yeah. because those two professions <laughs> are not, are not easygoing. easygoing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Well, well, the teacher, my mom taught little kids, like three-year-olds, five-year-olds, stuff like that. So it wasn't that hard. It was, there was no pressure. It was more so she enjoyed her job. My dad working at a bank, most bank jobs are not hard. My dad wasn't high up at a bank or anything like that. He was a low-level to mid-level employee. Okay. And then like, how do you go from sort of starting to get the yeses, starting to provide services for real businesses that are not your own? Um, I mean, if there's one thing that we're seeing clearly across all the interviews and speaking with uh, peak performers, it's that there's no such thing as overnight success. So I'm guessing you didn't jump from getting your first business to working with Google and Amazon and NBC, right? No, it took a long, long time. Keep in mind, I'm 35. I started when I was 16. So I'm in it 19 years, just to give you an idea. Do I think I'm successful? Probably not. You know, do I think I've been better than the average person? Sure. Just being realistic. Uh, I also look at success as it's in the eye of the beholder. If you're content, happy with your life, then to me, you're successful. It doesn't, to me, success isn't equated by your bank account. Yeah, I think we totally agree. And, and also, it seems that people who think that way, there's a correlation and somehow the bank account is actually... Pretty, in a pretty good state because you're doing what you like and money just naturally sort of falls into place when you do that. Or the opposite, you're Trump and the money goes out, but you're still doing what you want to do. <laughs> so. and, and then the other thing too that I've quickly learned is in business, I learned this at a very early age. You don't make money by making money. You make money by solving problems. If you can solve problems, your solution's good, it's quick, easy to use, ideally affordable, you can do well. You know, you don't have to innovate, you just have to solve problems. And that's really it. Solving problems goes a really long way. 
So how do you know what problems to solve? Because I'm guessing like a lot of the people listening, they want to do something meaningful. Uh, they want to also do something that they love. And sometimes that, that can be confusing. So like, what do you ask yourself to understand what is the, what is the problem that I think I can solve and enjoy doing? When you're talking about problems to solve, the, the easiest problem to solve is, if you're trying to figure out what to do is, think about your passion. What are you naturally good at? And look for issues and problems within the space that you're naturally good at because you'll know what issues there are and go and try to solve them. And the key within what I just said is passion. Because if you try to solve problems and things you're not passionate about, you're not going to do a good job. You're not going to care. You're not going to put in the time, the effort. You're going to give up when it takes uh, too long or something goes wrong. But when you're passionate, you usually just keep pushing through because you like it and it doesn't seem like work. So, so someone said here, like, and I think it's just largely what you're saying is solve your own problems you're probably passionate about. Like, they should be in a business. So, like, if, if you think you can, you know, Richard Branson style, if you think this experience, you can make it better or you can make this product better because you're using it, then you'll be passionate about it because you're, you, you have that pain. But also make sure that there's enough customers who also experience the same thing. You don't want to solve a problem that only you face. You want to make sure it's a wide problem. And if it's not a wide problem that affects a lot of people, you want to make sure that even if it's a small problem, the people that it does affect, they would pay a lot of money for that solution. So what did you do once like, you started the business? How old were you when you started like making money uh, and, and figured this is going to be something I'm going to pursue as a business. I'm going to try and really do this. Making revenue or making profit? I mean, you tell me. There was one stage probably when you figured, okay, this is, uh, this is happening. This is real. Yeah. So by the time I was almost 17, so still 16, I was doing around 20000 a month. I wasn't making any profit. Just wanted to clarify that. I didn't start making profit until I was in my early 20s. And you had the privilege of actually being patient because of your age, right? Like you, you knew that you could wait. No, I didn't even think about patience or any of that. You have to also remember when you, just as a kid, one, most kids don't think long-term or at least I wasn't able to. And the other thing that you have to realize too is at 16, I didn't really have much of a taste of money before this. Even a few thousand dollars a month or a thousand dollars a month was a lot of cash for me. So I was just happy. This is interesting for me because I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs or younger, young people that find out things about making money. And I, I, I really liked what you said. Like when you, when you said it out loud, you said revenue or profit. There's more into that, like cash flow or how to make money or all of that. Doesn't that piss you off that in you know school, you don't understand? Like the reason you're not profitable, I'm asking, is it because... You didn't have the capabilities and idea. You had to learn how to make money uh, while you were making the revenue. Or was it because you only need $1,000? Like, Well, I live with my parents. You know, as I mentioned, we were middle class. They paid for my expenses. They gave me one of their old cars. They paid for my gas. They paid for my school. They paid for my food. They paid for clothes if I needed clothes. So I didn't really need money for anything. So I just took all the money I was making and I reinvested it. And, and in, the, in the business. Yeah. The, and that's why I had no profit. And on that sense, like you, you, you kept on doing what you're doing till now, but that world changed like a thousand five hundred times. 
right? Sure, because I did too, one too many businesses, one too many ideas, too much ADD, not enough focus. You learn these things over time, right? It, it's better to have one big business than just to try to do every bright idea that you see and just focus goes a long way. So was there like a stage where you figured, you know, when things got a little difficult and, you know, all this ADD and trying to do a few things at the same time and things were rough, did you at any stage think uh, of giving up and maybe going to work for someone or take like the traditional path? So many times, because there's so many times I was in debt, like $500,000, a million dollars, just borrowing money to keep doing more and more things from family members. So, uh But yeah, there are so many times I wish I didn't do a lot of these things. So what kept you going? Well, I was still too young at the time when I was in debt, so I couldn't get a high-paying job. So I just kept focusing on, you know, doing entrepreneurship. Luckily, I didn't stop. I thought about quitting a few times. So like at some level, you didn't have a choice because you realize I'm already sort of pot committed in poker terms. And it's either that I somehow fix this uh, or... I don't even know what. Exactly. I didn't have too many options at that time. And, and then, like, how did you navigate all the pressure uh, that you had to deal with at those times? Uh, at that time, I didn't really have to deal with too much pressure. But the, the biggest pressure was I'm in debt. What's the worst case scenario? Well, for me, funny enough, was you just keep working, you slowly pay it off, and I live with my parents, and they help. It was stressful, but it wasn't like the world is ending, and I'm on the street, and I can't pay for food and I can't support my family. I was still single, no family, no kids, nothing. So life in the grand scheme of things weren't too bad. I think also yeah. you may be like uh, pretty optimistic. So in life, I I'm very optimistic. Yeah, we see that across like almost everybody that we interview, which is amazing and, and really inspiring. And I think it's probably one of the reasons, you know, that enable doing things that are sometimes larger than life. And solving problems. Yeah. And the other thing that I struggle with is I'm really terrible at knowing when I can't do something and I'm not capable. I believe I can do whatever, which is a bad quality to... It's good and bad. There's pros and cons of it, right? I, I, don't, I don't know when I should quit. I believe like I can literally learn whatever I want to learn and I can just keep pushing forward and I can accomplish tasks that are probably a little bit too difficult. That doesn't sound bad. Yeah, it's also what makes entrepreneurs entrepreneurs. I think we all have a little sense of it, as you mentioned. But doesn't that diversity help you be creative or solving problems, right? If you do a lot of things, even if you fail with them, like you're solving problems because you have a macro idea. There's a sentence that says, if you're busy working, you don't have enough time to make money. So, you know, being creative around, it gives you that diversity where people who are working don't have to solve those problems. Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on. Be being creative is just... What's funny is when you talk about creativity, it's the one thing I wish they try to teach you in school or harness. They, they'll try to teach you reading history. And I'm not saying history is not valuable. We should all learn from history. And they'll spend so much time working on math when people just use Excel now and calculators and all these things. But they don't teach you how to be creative. There is some things where they do critical thinking problems and stuff like that, but they don't spend enough time really harnessing creativity because life isn't a straight line. Life isn't black and white. There's a lot of gray and things that you have to overcome. And I think creativity is what really helps people thrive. Yeah, but the problem is uh, it's something in the core structure, which I really agree with you. But the problem is uh, wanting to do that and doing that is really difficult because... 
once you're studying something and you have to memorize something, there's a binaric one and zero at the end of an answer. And being playful and creative is a taste choice. So who is the judge of creativity and what is good? And how do you teach someone to give a grade on that? So once you have the grades as a standard, there's a problem with the creativity. Like it's not a platform where it says open canvas internet, fill it. It's a structure. So once it's a structure, it's not creative, right? So it's a big problem. I agree with you. And, and, but the, about the creativity and your diversity though, how do you stay passionate after 20 years doing that? Like, and after all the ups and downs of Google and changing and, you know, rules, like how do you, like you said, the most important thing is to be passionate. Are you still passionate after 20 years? I'm very passionate about marketing. So I continually prefer. If I wasn't, I would just sit and go get a job or find something else to do or something. But there has to be a drive. Do you build a challenge, a new challenge for yourself? Are you building different goals for you? Like, how do you get excited from your relationship with marketing? There are no goals, really. I know that sounds crazy, but I don't really have goals other than just keep pushing forward and have fun and do what I'm doing. Now, don't get me wrong. There's like business goals. Like, yeah, can we grow X percent this year or whatever it may be? But just personally, I don't really have any like objective. Like, I need to do this. It's more so enjoy life for what it is, spend time with family, work, you know, just do the routine. And I just love reading and learning and out of everything at the end of the day, when I look at me as a core person, what keeps me going is I just like winning. It's not the concept of like, did I do this? Did my business achieve this? It's more like, did I win? Did I beat someone? And I know that's silly, but that's just innate in me. It's just like, I like winning. And about winning, like, how did you, how did you get to be the successful entrepreneur? You know, like the, the award-winning listing person, like, how did that happen? There were so many of us who got selected, technically a hundred of us. Um, and there was this, this application online and you click apply and either you get it or you don't. And it was that simple. There was nothing more to it. He makes everything sounds really simple. You're, you're the approachable guy. Okay, that at the end of the day, he wants to win. You know how dangerous that is, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, this is a quality that, you know, you know, this is, this is, you're going to win, but you're going to win by the person is going to feel, oh, this guy doesn't want to win. Because that's a, you have a, like a big contrast there. It's really interesting. As an entrepreneur, I've never seen like that kind of typecast. Like, yeah. I don't think anybody that signs, fills out that form, I don't think Obama just went or the team selecting just went like, yeah, he, he seems awesome. I think he's probably a little more no, there's, complex. There's like the 40,000 people now that yeah. like where is clicking right now. You know, on the, on the Obama <laughs> thing, and you know, I'm saying rejected all the time. They're like, oh, come on. <laughs> the site is crashing. He said it was easy. <laughs> well, the, it was luck of the draw, right? Uh, and I'll be quite frank. They just based it off of revenue. And I knew that we had good enough revenue at the time to uh, get high up. Okay, let's, let's take a, another step back a second. Because I feel like everything sounds like so... Care Bears, and, and, and I'm trying to sort of dig in and understand like where this wasn't smooth sailing, uh, because life just isn't, and we all know that. So, you know, you started acquiring customers, and at what stage did this scale, and how do you land like the top tier one customers in the world? That doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, uh, it, it really is just a long game. So if you do something long enough and you do a good job, you'll get known of it, word of mouth. Uh, you'll get more referrals. It, it, it's just a long game. Some of it's building relationships, going to events, conferences, networking. Like there's no quick solution, as you guys know. 
But if you do something long enough and you get decent at it, eventually you'll start getting the right type of customers. Revenue will start coming, but you got to do it long enough and good enough. And that's where people really lose out. It's most people aren't willing to put in the time and energy. Most people aren't patient. Heck, I'm not even that patient. Um, and then most people aren't willing to take the time to get good at something because if you're not good at it, you're not going to do well. But if you don't do it long enough, how are you going to get good at it, right? So they go hand in hand. You just got to keep doing it and doing it until you get better. What, what would you say is your superpower? I'm pretty good at figuring out most things. What do you mean by figuring out? Like if someone gives me a problem, I can try to come up with a solution. And if I don't know it, I'll go and research it and learn it. So I'm really good at that. The other uh, good thing about me is I have a really good memory. I extremely good. Like I'll remember things from like when I was like four or five years old. I remember things when people told me a story, you know, 10 years ago. So I have a really good memory. It's not photographic, but it's close. Uh, my other really good skill set is I'm great at math. I'm very analytical, which helps with analysis when you're tearing things apart, what's going to work, what's not. Uh you know, like, for example, I have multiple people in my finance department, and I've had it in the years past where people will show me spreadsheets in a board meeting, and they'll show me numbers, and I'll tell them that their numbers are off, and I'm able to do it in my head, literally right there in a few seconds. Okay, so th those are really special superpowers. Do you have any tricks on that? Like, do you visualize memory? Do you benchmark numbers and memorize the benchmark, or are you just naturally amazing at that? I don't know if I'm amazing at it, but I was naturally decent at it. Okay, so if you're naturally decent in it, and in school you said that you weren't, uh, um, you didn't find anything that you were extra good at or decent enough in, correct? I was good at mathematics, physics, stuff, sciences, stuff like that. I did terrible in English, history, Spanish. All that kind of stuff didn't do well. At. I did really well in the math side. And so on that sense, what would be your kryptonite? My kryptonites don't have the best grammar, English skills, even though English is my first language. Um, what other skills do I lack? I'm a terrible manager. I wanted to ask you about that. Like, I, I had a hunch. Like, is it micromanagement or do you just not have patience? Like, how do you, what are the dynamics on your team? Uh, I have a lot of issues. I'm not a good micromanager. I'm not a good manager overall. I don't manage a ton of people because I just suck at it. Uh, I don't like training. I don't like teaching people like how to do something. I'm just like, I'll just do it faster. But you do teach I, them I, like on stages and, you know, you educate millions. Sure, which is funny because I can do that, but I can't teach people one-on-one. -on -one. I'm terrible at that. Because you're impatient? Correct. My, one of my biggest issues is patience. Now, luckily, I have a child now, so I'm learning to be a bit patient, but I'm still not good at it. Oh, you'll, you'll be good. You'll be great at it. If, as long as you love that child, because I can't go into that. <laughs> but I, I promise you, Like, um, no, I, I love the child, but I'm bad at a lot of things. Like even with my child yesterday, she bit my wife. So then I'm like, I'm going to put you in timeout. I put her in a box and the top was open, but she was sitting in a box. Is this a child or a puppy child? <laughs> I'm kidding. So like I have this cardboard box that she sits in and I push her around because she likes sitting in there. So, and it's a big box and she can't climb out of the top. And then, uh, you know, she colors on the inside of it. So she likes playing with it. But I put her in there in time out yesterday because she bit my wife. And I'm like, he needs to learn. This is the third time. But she started crying. And within like five seconds, I take her out. You know, like I, I, I'm not that strict parent. I don't have the, I have 
when it comes to disciplining or doing stuff that I should do as a dad, I'm bad at that. I'm good at the playing side. I'm good at reading to her, educating. I, you know, I, 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 but I just don't have the patience for, you know, like, Hey, let me put on your clothes and sit there for 10 minutes and struggle. Like I don't have the patience for that. But is it patience or are you just playful? You don't have patience because it's more fun to do other things. That's true. I can go on a walk with her for 30 minutes every day and I love that. I just don't like the concept of me sitting down with her and doing the stuff I don't like. Like I know that sounds bad, but I haven't changed a diaper still today. And she is 17 months old, if I had a guess. If if I had a guess, that's funny. But I think it's like a theme because it's the same. I think you probably choose the the team that you surround yourself with. And it's the same with the family. Like you make sure you're able to be the best version of yourself and to do only what you like. And you surround yourself with the people who are able to do what you don't. And I'm guessing like uh, it it turns out healthy. I'm guessing there's value in what you bring to the table. Correct. And, And I'll do certain things like I pick up my daughter every morning when she wakes up and I feed her breakfast. And it's my time with her, uninterrupted, no work. She likes waking up around five, six o'clock. I'm up before then anyways. And it's just something that her and I do, no distractions, no emails, no work. And uh, I get to play with her, have fun. You know, and this morning she woke up from the crib and she's just like, loca, loca, which means she wanted to hear the song loca. Loca, loca, on turbo, yeah. So I played that song, fed her some cereal, read her some books, uh, when I feed her cereal like Cheerios, I count how many Cheerios are. I brushed her teeth with her in the morning. It's like things like that. You know, like you, you are right. I, I think at the end of the day is if I like something, I'll have the patience for it. If I don't like something, I have no patience for it. But I think, I think that's going back. I'm sorry because this is not my job, but the self-reliance thing is really strong with you. Doing things that yeah. you like with whom you like is the same thing as the attribute you're looking for as a child. Like it came back again. Because you're actually saying it's not a patience putting in the box. It's like no one decides for me and I do what I want. And if I do that, I actually have a lot of patience and a lot of discipline. So it's not your kryptonite. Your kryptonite is that you only want to do things that you enjoy. And sometimes there's diapers that you have to clean, which is not enjoyable. And I know what I'm good at. Like I don't have a stomach for diapers. I just don't have the stomach. You can be good at that. Not that that I don't want to help. I'll help my wife. It's just I, I don't have, if it smells bad, I'm going to get sick. Just like when my wife was giving birth without getting into many details, the doctor's like, come and pull out the baby. I'm like, no, 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 thank you. I, I, I turned away and I'm like, this is your job. I'm not good at this, right? Like, I just know. If you had to, you would. Sure, if I have no choice, I would. But what's the point of having a doctor? Like, I just know I don't have a stomach. <laughs> what's the point of having a doctor? <laughs> Love it. Yeah, like, this is what they're getting paid for. Sure. But I think, like, to be serious for a second, like, I know you're, you're presenting it all chill and I get your angle completely but I feel like it's the same with like annoying customers but ones you know that you still want to work with because you know when you balance everything you still want to work with them so you know some you're going to avoid things that you don't want to do if you can that's why I have an amazing team so I don't have to deal with the annoying customers I, and no, no offense there's no you're not going to have perfect customers when you have hundreds of them and that's okay and you know what even if a customer is irritating to you they have a right to be they're paying you they can do whatever they want now, if you don't like it, you don't have to take their money, but that's the reality of this. But going back to what you guys were saying earlier is I have very strong self-awareness. I know what I'm good at. I know what I like. And where I'm weak at, I just go and find other people. And when you're a little kid, people tell you this, that you can do everything. And even though I have this 
I wouldn't call it God complex, but that complex where I believe I can do most things. Just in reality, when I don't like something or I think someone's better than me at it, I go and go find the person and hire them. And then I'll go learn from them. And I believe I can get better than them, which sounds bad, but that's the mentality I have. That's actually the truth. So thank you for doing, telling us that what every successful person does just doesn't tell it, honestly. So no, but there's bad. like, uh, there's this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Have you heard of it? I have not. Okay. So it basically means that sometimes people think they're better uh, than what they actually are. And for us, me. <laughs> so, and you know, the other end of the coin here is, uh, is the imposter syndrome. So, you know, some people on the other end of the scale, and I guess we all feel like sometimes we're on that end too. Maybe you don't, uh, but a lot of people sometimes feel the imposter syndrome. And then the idea is to strike the balance and understand when you're leaning towards the Dunning-Kruger effect and when this is imposter syndrome and just find the balance where you're at your best uh, and where you can add the most value. And then, you know, get, let other people do the stuff where, where you're not at your best. Yeah, like I know if I was going to play basketball, I'm not going to be the best. I know I'm going to be terrible at it. At the same time, no matter how much I practice, I just don't have that physical ability in my body. But at the same time, I know there's certain things that I'm just amazing at. And sometimes I have a bit too much arrogance that I can learn and get good at it. And even if I know I fail and I'm not the best at it at the short run, I believe I just keep doing it and learning and I can get better than most people. But that's what makes entrepreneurs. And I think that's the skill that a lot of them need to have, sadly. Now, now on that sense, most important thing is um, um, you have the confidence and you're like 20 years into entrepreneurship. That means, you know, that's, that, that's in like, you know, the new, the new generation, that's like 340 years. You're like Gandalf in entrepreneurism in the internet. So the question is this, I want to summarize everything and, you know, be respectful for your time and just understand one thing. If you would go back either to other entrepreneurs or to yourself, when you're starting off, what would it be the one tip that you would think would be a game changer? You know, the Marty McFly going back into DeLorean and giving it to yourself, what would it be? This is a silly one, but it would be focus. I know if I focused, I would have my companies would probably be four or five times the size. Focus is just... It's, people take it for granted, but if you just do one thing and you do it extremely well and you do it for a long time and you're in a big enough market, you'll build a huge business. And I think that's a big mistake. And that was actually the second thing I would tell myself is pick big TAMs. There's some times where I created businesses that were in small markets and it doesn't matter how much effort you put, a small market is a small market. And what I learned over the years is to build a business in a small market and to build a business in a big market, it takes almost the same amount of effort. So might as well go after the one with the big TAM. Love it. That is so important. Very Love it. All right. We know you have to jump. So we really appreciate this. And in the meantime, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. And we really thank you for coming on. Yeah. And, and keep on being brutal simplicity. I love it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. All right. Bye. Bye. Real life superpowers. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. Real life superpowers.